Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We clap our hands to the Lord. Praise Him. He's worthy to be praised. So thankful to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I'm appreciative, God, of this house for two reasons. Number one, we're able to come into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But secondly, because you are here. Because we could be here alone and it would just be an empty house. We could have a great time with God, just us being alone. But because we're all here together, the family of God, we can have a great time together. And I'm thankful for it. If you would join me this morning in the book of Galatians, chapter 5. We're going to continue our study this morning uh, entitled, In the Step, In Step with the Spirit. Galatians 5 and 22, we're going to be reading verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5 and 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I'll begin this morning with a story that will sort of set the tone for what we'll speak about today. Joe glanced at his speedometer before he began slowing down. Unfortunately, it read 71, and he was in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. Now, I'll just be a little transparent today. I found myself in that same position. But the flashing lights behind him indicated there was much more of a problem. And even worse, it was the fourth time in a six-month period that this Joe had been stopped. When his car began to slow down to 10 miles an hour, he pulled off the highway, but only partway. He thought to himself, let the dumb cop worry about the traffic. Maybe some other driver will bump him with a mirror. But as Joe looked into his rearview mirror, the cop stepping out of his car to his dismay, he knew this man. He knew the policeman. He didn't just know him. He went to church with him. It was Bob. Bob from church. How could this get any worse as Joe sank low in his seat? There was no escape. It was humiliating. It was Bob from church, and that was worse than the coming ticket that he would receive. A Christian cop stopping and then writing a ticket for a fellow from his own church. And so, jumping out of the car, Joe approached a man he saw at church every Sunday. A man he had never seen in uniform. He didn't really even know that Bob was a policeman. 
Hi, Bob. Fancy meeting you here like this. Hello, Joe. No smile from the big cop. I guess you caught me red-handed in a rush to see my wife and kids. Yeah, I guess. Bob seemed a little hesitant and a bit uncertain. Maybe this was a good thing. Maybe he could bluff his way through this one again. And so Joe blurted, I've been working some long days here lately, and I'm afraid I bent the rules just a little bit just this once. As he said it, Joe toted a pebble at the pavement. Diane said something about roast beef and potatoes tonight. You, you know what I mean. Bob's response was discouraging. Yeah, I do know what you mean. And I also know that you have a reputation in our precinct. And so this is obviously not going in the right direction. And it was time for Joe to change his tactics. Well, what did you clock me at? 71. Would you get back in the car, please? Now, wait a minute, Bob. I looked at my speedometer as soon as I saw you. I was barely nudging 65. You see, that particular lie seemed to get easier and easier as each ticket came. Please, Joe, get back in the car. And so flustered, Joe climbed through the still open door, slamming the door. He just stared at the dashboard. He was in no rush to open the window, and the minutes just ticked by as Bob scribbled on his large pad of paper. Why hadn't he asked for a driver's license? Whatever the reason, it would be a month of Sundays before Joe ever sat near this man again. A tap on the door jerked his head to the left, and there was Bob with a folded paper in his hand. Joe rolled down the window a mere two inches, just enough for Bob to pass him the slip. Thanks. His voice sneered. Bob returned to his car without a word, and Joe watched his retreat in the mirror. But as he unfolded the piece of paper, what he found was something that he would not soon forget. It was not a ticket. And as Joe began to read, the words read like this. Dear Joe, once upon a time I had a daughter. She was six when she was killed by a car. You guessed it, a speeding driver. A fine and three months in jail, and that man was free. Free to hug his daughters, all three of them. I had only one, and I'm going to have to wait until heaven before I can ever hug her again. A thousand times I've tried to forgive that man, and a thousand times I thought I had. Maybe I did but I need to do it again, even now. Pray for me and be careful. My son is all that I have left, Bob. And so after hearing this story, it's not hard to assess the spiritual life of Job. And so the fact is this, what this story encapsulates today and what it shows us more than ever before is this. If we, as human beings and in, in, in people of God, people that are filled with the Holy Ghost, if we are to be alive in the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit must be displayed in every situation we face. And so today, let's talk about that, the fruit of the Spirit.
You see, the fruit that a plant produces is consistent. If we can just be rudimentary here for a moment and go back to the basics. In nature, a plant doesn't produce one sort of fruit in one place or in one season and then another sort of fruit in another place in another season. But the fruit the plant produces remains consistent regardless of the location or regardless of the circumstances. You can plant an orange tree in this backyard in the state of Florida and it will produce oranges. You can pluck the same tree up and take it to the state of California and plant it in the ground and it will produce oranges. It doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter what's around it. It's going to produce what it is supposed to produce. A hobby farmer planted four trees, four different trees intended to produce different fruit. Now, this farmer wasn't an expert. He did not contain the ability to know a tree by its particular set of leaves or bark. He was not able to identify these trees simply by that. And as time went on, the wind and the rain soaked the tags on the trees and they eventually disappeared, leaving nothing but the trees. No horticulturist, no expert was called in to identify the trees. They simply remained a mystery as to what they were, but not for long. Because as time and circumstance came, they yielded their fruit and then they were able to be identified as to what they were. And so in our lives as Christian men and women and families of God, we must give the natural process of things a bit of time in our life. You see, in time, each tree will be known without uncertainty. In time, each tree will be able to be identified, and they will be known by the fruit that they produce. You see, time will prove all things, and time and circumstance will allow the opportunity for our flesh to rear its ugly head. Time and circumstances and and things that happen to us in our life will produce an ample opportunity to be the, the demonstration of the works of the flesh, but the same time and the same circumstance, if we are filled with the Spirit of God, will give ample opportunity for the presentation of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Time will identify the influences within every single human being, whether it be spirit or whether it be flesh. Now, I don't want to meander here too too long, but we've all had instances where we may have seen someone from a distance and we made a judgment about them right off the bat whether they were good or bad or what have you but just by their looks and someone may have looked polished and they may have looked put together and everything looked great on the outside but you just began to talk to them and you began to get a little bit closer to them and in time they revealed that something's just not quite right here Am I the only one in the building that's ever had that happen to them? You begin to speak with them, and they begin to talk back to you, and 
things begin to reveal itself to say, well, something's not quite right here. And the coin can be flipped. We can make judgments about people uh, prematurely, and we get closer to them, and we find out that our judgment was wrong to start with because it's the fruit of the Spirit. You see, a plant, it, its fruit, it, it doesn't fluctuate. The, the fruit is a product of what's already inside the tree. There may be varied amounts of fruit at certain times and in certain seasons, but the fruit itself remains the same no matter what. There will never be a misidentification if you identify a tree by its fruit. And there will never be a misidentification in our lives or any other person's life if we identify them by the fruit that they produce. Jesus taught this in Matthew 7 and 20. He said, wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. In Matthew 7, 15 through 20, Jesus uses that phrase and this, this teaching to evaluate false prophets. So let's consider several things regarding knowing someone by their fruit. Now, I've already mentioned it somewhat, but let's say it again. It, it, we've all had instances where we've seen someone from a distance and we've made a premature judgment about them. However, number one, it's not wrong to study a person's behavior, hear me, behavior, to determine what sort of person that they are. Now, let me just go out on a limb here for just a second, and I'll come back to the, to the strong part of the tree. But we can, we can, we can take on this, this uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but we can take on this ability to 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 take on this sort of thinking that we're judging someone and we don't want to pass judgment on someone. And that's true. I'm no one's judge and jury. And so I can't convict anyone, but I can certainly judge their character and I can judge whether or not I want to get in with them. I can judge whether or not I want to, I want to let my life come up next to theirs. And we can do that spiritually and we can do that naturally. And so Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Secondly, what a tree looks like is not necessarily as important as the fruit of the tree because the fruit is what matters. The fruit is the manifestation of what is on the inside of it. And so Jesus uses a different phrase to communicate this when he says that there will be those who appear to be sheep, but they are actually Wolves, because appearance did not define or determine the prophet. Now, I'm not talking about holiness. I'm not talking about separation from the world. I believe that we need to be separated from the world and that we should look different. But don't think just because someone looks a certain way or that they dress a certain way that everything is all right in here. And by that same coin, just because I can put my suit and my tie on and come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and present something to you doesn't mean that everything is all right in here. I can look right here but be dead man's bones inside and so I've got to get what's inside right and everything else will take care of itself because fruit is the result of what lies within the specific tree. Matthew 7 includes the idea that we should not quickly hasten to evaluation because a tree can be unknown. However, 
Just give the tree time and the fruit will always reveal its identity. And fruit is always the product of process. Always. You see, what we put inside of us, what we place in our hearts and what we allow our ears and our eyes to hear and see what we put in our lives will eventually manifest itself outwardly and it'll either be fruit of the spirit or it will be works of the flesh. It just depends on what you're putting inside. That's what's going to come out. And the fruit we bear says a lot about the process in which we are going through in life. In Mark 4 and 28, Jesus uses the analogy of planting corn to teach us about process. And so it's very simple, but just bear with me for a minute. The farmer doesn't plant a seed expecting to come out two hours later and there be a full stalk with fruit at the end. He doesn't expect with corn to go from a seed to full ear automatically. First, there is a seed. Then there is a blade. And only afterward does the plant produce the corn. And so over time and through a distinct process, the corn becomes a full ear. And the proving and accomplishing of productivity, whether it be good or bad, takes time. And so if we are going to be filled with the Spirit, we can't just be filled on a Sunday afternoon and then go out and do whatever we want to do the rest of the week and thereafter. But we've got to water it. We've got to cultivate it. We've got to let God fill us and refill us so that we can bear His fruit. And so if we're talking about fruit bearing, if we're talking about being in step with the Spirit, if we're talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost and on fire for God, no better person could we speak about this morning than the Apostle Paul. And so let's consider him for just a moment. Paul's time in active ministry is estimated to have been around 35 years. 20 of those years he was doing missionary work. One setting where Paul planted a church was in the city of Ephesus, which was a sizable city in what is now present-day Turkey. Paul's ministry in Ephesus lasted approximately three years, and it was one of the longer tenures of Paul's stops on his missionary journeys. And his time in Ephesus was effective. And it was effective for one reason and one reason alone. It was the way Paul carried himself every single day of his life. It's thought that the church in Ephesus was the mother church for the majority of the churches mentioned in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. And so since Paul spent a significant time in Ephesus, the group of people that he worked with there knew him and they knew him quite well. You see, Paul departed Ephesus in some duress. Paul departed Ephesus in some conflict, but Paul left behind a strong church. Paul left behind a strong church all because he made the fruit of the Spirit his priority. After he had made some additional stops, Paul expressed his intent to return to Jerusalem 
And when his journey to Jerusalem brought him near Ephesus, he requested a conference with the leaders of the church, and he requested the men in Ephesus to meet him. Paul's words to the Ephesians in, 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 in Acts 20, 17 through 38 are recorded. And part of Paul's communication was to remind these men just how he acted when he lived and worked among them. Now, remember, Paul's time among them was long enough that they knew him. He wasn't just there for a weekend and then he moved on somewhere else. But Paul was there. He lived with them. He worked with them. He was in ministry with them. They saw Paul under great duress. They saw Paul under duress because of the idolatry of the city and that worship to that goddess Diana. They saw him in frustration. They saw him at his lowest points, but they saw him bear the fruit of the Spirit in his life. They had seen him in varied circumstances. They had seen him in his highs, and they had seen him in his lows. They had seen him walk in the Spirit, and they had saw him keep in step with the Spirit. They saw him when he had great success, yet they saw him when he had been in absolute conflict. And so this is the same with every man and woman in this building. The world is going to see you at your high. The world is going to see you when you're at your low. The world is going to see you when you're in conflict. And the world is going to see you when you are in great success. But if anything, they need to see the fruit of the Spirit Bared in our life with every circumstance and with every place that we find ourselves in in this world. This is life. We are going to have the ups and we're going to have the downs. This is life. Not just for Paul, but for everyone in this building. And so over the process of time, people are seen in various circumstances, and in various situations, even in the church. And circumstance and time will prove what's inside a person. See, Paul's compassion and care for these saints in Ephesus had shown them that he was a man that was led by the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul said the thing himself. Acts 20 and 18 says, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Paul presents to, him, to them himself and allows them to open the book of his life and to read of him. You see, this is how the fruit of the Spirit is both shown and known. Paul said, from the very first day, from the very first moment that you met me through every season of my life, whatever manner of season that it was, 
I have been the same man that you met on the same day. You see, Paul doesn't point to other things that people would might have pointed to, 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 to display that or to prove that. Paul points to his manner and his behavior. And hear this. Paul points to his manner and his behavior and doesn't say anything about his preaching or his teaching to the people in Ephesus. It was just the way he carried himself. It was just the way he handled the problems of his life. So let's look again at some of the phrases that Paul uses to describe his behavior in Acts. Behavior demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul Paul demonstrated the fruit of the Spirit throughout. Verse 19, he said, All humanity are all humility of mind. He displayed gentleness in his life. Verse 20, he says, I kept nothing back that was profitable. This is where Paul demonstrated the goodness of the Spirit in his life. Verse 22, he said, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me. This is where Paul displayed faith in his life. Verse 24, none of these things move me. This is where Paul demonstrated peace in his life. And he said, I'll finish my course with joy. This is the joy of the Lord that he demonstrated in his life. In verse 26 he said, I am pure from the blood of all men. This meant that he was temperate in everything that he did. In verse 33 he said, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. This is peace in his life. And in verse 34 he said, these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. And this is where Paul demonstrates long suffering in his life. And so everything that he did, everything that he said lined up with his spirit and lined up with his actions and his behavior. It wasn't just what he said, but it's what he did. Paul is the original man that can say, do as I do, not do as I say, not as I do. But he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. And so can we say to this world, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm going to set the example for my family. I'm going to set the example for the people that I come in contact with. See, Ephesus, Ephesus was a place where Paul worked as a bivocational pastor. And a church planner. Now, I'm not saying that just because he's in the room. But to be a pastor of a church is one thing. But to work a secular job and to be a pastor. And I know he's done that. So he can attest to that. There's, there's something that, there's a special man who can work in this world every day and then walk to this pulpit and feed the people of God with the word of God. It takes, it takes work to be able to do that. And so Ephesus is a place where Paul worked. He didn't just pop out of an office on Sundays, pop out of an office on Wednesdays, and go back to that place when he was done. But here's the catch. Paul could have chosen any place to go. 
Paul could have chosen another place that was particular in, 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 in being a place that he had visited earlier that perhaps would have afforded him an easier existence. Yet Paul, Paul felt that God led him to that place for such a time as it was for a specific purpose. Hear me today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing, but God has placed you where you are for a reason. And we need to let the spirit of God baptize us and take us into this world and help us to be an example to them. Paul's personal ease was not his ambition. Paul's ambition was to display the fruit of the spirit. Because by their fruits, you shall know them. Paul's great objective in Acts 20 was for the elders to act the same way that they had seen him act. And to get them to do this, Paul did something very bold and very upfront. Paul invited them to check his words against his actions. Paul invited them to check the fruit of his behavior among them. I wonder if today, and it's probably going to be quiet for a minute because I was quiet when I read it, but it, 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 would be, it would be in our best interest to assess ourselves by the people that are around us. Could we open the book and could we ask them, am I displaying the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Check my words against my actions and my deeds. Am I displaying the fruit of the Spirit at my workplace when things are not going my way and they're not doing what I think they ought to do? Do I throw my sucker in the dirt and do I get an attitude about it or do I stand firm on the Word of God to say He's brought me here, He'll brought me through this and He'll get me out of this? Am I displaying the fruit of the Spirit in my life when I deal with my children and my family? And could I ask them boldly and up front, tell me, do my actions line up with my words? So, imagine if Paul could have been dishonest for a moment. Imagine if he would have been dishonest in his portrayal of the way that he lived. It wouldn't have taken long for those elders to stand up and somebody clear their throat and say, wait a minute now. Do you remember when this happened? Do you remember what you did when this happened? Do you remember how you acted when you were faced with this opposition? Do you remember how you kind of backed away when everything was going good in your life? Somebody would have stood up Somebody would have retorted. Somebody would have refudiated what he said. But I'm thankful today that there are no interruptions in Paul's discourse. There are no clear throats. There are no objections or interruptions. But those men stood and said, I have seen the way you've lived. I have seen the way you walked. And it is true. What you say is what you do. And what you do is what you say. And so the fruit of the Spirit had been consistently exhibited as Paul lived and walked among the Ephesians. Charles Spurgeon once said, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of a person, they count his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. I grew up in a home with a man 
who say actions speak louder than words, boy. It ain't what you say, it's what you do. Researchers examined 41 upper-level executives who managed to derail their careers. Each executive possessed remarkable strengths. However, each one was flawed by one or more significant weaknesses. A close study of these executives showed that certain types of flaws just kept cropping up over and over and over, and one particular error showed up more than any other. And when that particular error was exempted, or whether it was exhibited, one committed over and over and over, it always led without fail to that executive's downfall. The researchers in the project called this one error the unforgivable sin, betraying a trust. You see, it had to do with all these executives being people of integrity. Because integrity is more than simple honesty. Integrity is more than what you say. But integrity is what you do. And integrity is what you do consistently and predictability over time. It's built. It's a consistency. It's something that people can count on. You see, people of integrity are constant. Like my dad says, they're not wishy-washy. They're not one way one day and something else the next, but they're constant. They're consistent. Whatever the day brings them, their response is going to be the same. Whatever life puts in their path, their life, their life is going to be consistent. Paul's conversation with the Ephesian elders reminded them of his integrity. And many aspects described as the fruit of the Spirit reflect integrity. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is like integrity and it's like honesty. But it's not something that we can choose to do or don't do. You see, integrity, the fruit of the Spirit, is like honesty. It's like integrity. But it's not something that we can choose to do one day and not do the next. It's not like a suit of clothes. We can't change the way we act one day and change the way we act on, a, on another day. We can't choose to wear a particular suit of clothes one day and then something different the next. It doesn't work that way with the fruit of the Spirit. You either display the fruit of the Spirit or you don't. There is no in-between. And when we do, there is a consistency about that fruit. Hear me. Let me just pause here to say this. If we are filled with his spirit, if we have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, that means that his spirit is on the inside of us. And if we have his spirit, then we're going to be like him. And the Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and And forever, God said of himself in Malachi 3 and 6, I am the Lord and I change not. And so like this book, can I stand in front of people on one day and be one way and be something different the next and then think everything's all right? No, no, no. We got to be like this book. No matter what culture says, no matter what opposition comes, this book never changes. And so if God is the book and the book is on the inside of us, then we can be the same as him every single day full of the spirit and in step with the spirit unvarying and unwavering in our responses to life you see people of integrity people 
of, of God, people full of the Spirit and display the fruit of the Spirit are like the boy who was asked what his name was. He said, it is Billy. Someone teasing the boy asked him if his name was Billy Sunday. He answered, no, it's Billy every day. And so the fruit of the Spirit is not just a Sunday presentation. The fruit of the Spirit is not something that we can just pull out on Wednesday nights to impress our friends with. The the fruit of the Spirit is an everyday occurrence, and we got to be Billy every day. closing if our musicians will come. Sam Storms, Oklahoma City pastor and blogger, developed a list of 10 traits that help identify integrity. It's interesting how Storms' list reflects the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is certainly more expansive than can be contained with the word integrity, but Storms' thoughts may help us wrap our minds and ourselves around how our fruit can be measured and observed. He says, first, a person of integrity fulfills his or her promises. Being true to one's word, hear me, especially when doing so is costly in terms of money, convenience, physical welfare, and so on. It is the core characteristic of integrity. Secondly, a person of integrity speaks the truth, is honest, and does not lie. Thirdly, a person of integrity is a person of sincerity. This is to say a person of integrity hates hypocrisy. Four, a person of integrity manifests a wholeness of character, including kindness, compassion, mercy, and gentleness. A person of integrity is committed to the pursuit and maintenance of justice and fairness. Six, a person of integrity loves as, when, and what God loves. Seven, a person of integrity is humble. He or she shuns pride and haughtiness. A person of integrity is law-abiding. He or she plays by the rules, both in the Bible and the law of the land. And finally, nine, a person of integrity is fundamentally altruistic. That is to say, he or she is committed not simply to laws, and rules, but to people. And so I ask a few rhetorical questions. Perhaps you can answer them in your mind. Could a selfish person have much integrity? What about someone who is honest, law-abiding, and fulfills his or her promises, but is self-absorbed and egocentric? And does the latter eliminate the possibility of integrity? I say Yes, it does, because a person of integrity manifests a high degree of consistency. That is to say, he or she is not always changing the principles upon which their lives are built unless compelled to do so by the Bible. And so I feel confident today that I have gathered together with people who are full of the Spirit of God and who display the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. And no matter what this world says, no matter what the culture around us dictates to the rest of this world, no matter what opposition comes against us, and no matter what things are thrown at us in life, we can say this like the old song says, my hope is built on 
on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, the, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. In him, my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So let's stand together this afternoon, this morning, and let's lift our hands to heaven. Let's lift our voices. Let's begin to magnify the King of kings and the Lord of lords for his word, for his spirit, for the fruit of the spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, why don't you just lift your hands one more time. Why don't you thank him for everything he's done in your life. Why don't you thank him for filling you with the spirit of God to allow you to walk and be in step with his spirit in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.